0: Well, welcome back to the When I Heard This podcast. My name is Nate Robinson, and I'm here with Joseph Tillman. Today is a new day. It is that the Lord hath made. We need to rejoice and be glad in it. Good. What's that verse?
1: It's in the Psalms, <laughs> I think.
0: Which psalm? I have no idea. Wow, are you even qualified <laughs> to do this? I really
1: probably not. <laughs>
0: So today we are talking about like how, what to do if I just became a Christian. Mm-hmm. Like how do I deal with my whole life? Like, okay, fine. You've convinced me I'm a Christian now. Now what do I do? All
1: right. So, so that, like, that's, what we're, that's doing. what we're doing today. Yeah, that's what we're gotcha. doing
0: today. Um, First off, go to Patreon, $5.00. Click all the buttons around things, like, subscribe, share, download, all those. Um, Okay, so my first question is, so I'm a Christian now, okay? Geez, I'm a Christian now. So what are, like, the immediate things that you would have me do now that I'm a Christian? What do I do?
1: All right, so... <laughs> You're a Christian, you've just gotten saved, and you're saying, what do I do now? Yep. Where do I begin? Yep. Okay. All right, so did you get saved in a church, or you just, someone approached you on the street, or talking to someone in an airplane, or like, how did you come to know Christ?
0: So, I just got saved, and then I don't know anybody who's a Christian. Okay. And... And you know me somehow,
1: Okay, Pastor
0: all right. Joseph.
1: All right, so I, Pastor Joseph, know you somehow. Because, Not
0: like personally, but you right. met me somehow.
1: Okay, all right. So the first thing that I'm going to do is talk to you about, all right, so what does it mean to be a Christian? Okay. Okay? And that's the first thing someone did with me when I got saved. Okay. All right, they, they sat and talked with me. What does it mean to be a Christian? Like, okay, you, you heard the gospel, you responded to it. You said yes, I want to follow Jesus, <laughs> but then the next question obviously is, but what does that really entail? Yeah, okay, and so I would probably talk to you just about, all right, the what does it look like to follow Jesus? So, I mean, one of the things I'd I would either I'd, I'd probably get you a Bible, okay. okay, and or help you download the Bible app on your phone. All right. And, but more than just handing you a Bible, although that's a, it's important to have that. The most important thing is connecting you into a community of believers. Okay. So that's the most important thing. Like, so for point one, I'm going, how do I connect this individual that's just come to know Christ to a community of believers? So that's one, like connect them to those community of believers. Two, I would talk to them about getting baptized Mm-hmm. And, all right, so let's let's make a public confession of faith. Let's be baptized. Um, let's allow the grace of the Holy Spirit to come upon you at baptism and the, as you identify with Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. And then three, I would want you to begin being discipled. So not just connecting with the community in regards to being there on Sunday mornings or on Wednesday nights or other events they may have, but what does it look like for you to actually be discipled? And so whether I do that with you or whether I connect you with someone else who can begin meeting with you on a regular basis in discipleship. So those are like the first probably three things I would do. Connect you in a community, encourage you to get baptized, and connect you into a discipleship relationship. Okay,
0: so I'm a Christian now. Right, Right. Everyone I hang out with is not okay what do i do (laughs) yeah (laughs) so it's essentially essentially i have no friends now okay or all of my friends are you know like say i used drugs right or was part of a
1: cult okay (laughs)
0: or you know what i'm saying like everyone i know everyone that has a personal relationship with me i'm not supposed to hang out with anymore i guess so so what do i do with that and even down to just people who simply aren't christians that are my friends like how what do i do now like day of next day right of
1: i'm a christian now Right. How do I handle this? Right. Yeah. So I I do think you have to make the distinction between people that are going to be in your life that you know that you can't be around because maybe not because they're even just bad people, but just because if they're, let's say you've gotten saved, you don't want to be in an environment where people are doing drugs. Using the example you gave, then you probably don't want to be around the people that are doing drugs too right and that may want to encourage you to come back into that lifestyle right and so there there are those people that you may for a season i'm not saying forever but for a season may have to kind of just distance yourself from as you're trying to break off of those things um whether it's alcohol drugs whatever it may be and you're you're coming into this place of going okay i need to I need to be in a community of believers. So that's that's the first thing I've I've got to find these, you know, a community connect with. But also there are going to be people in your life that maybe aren't Christians, but they're also hopefully going to respect the decision you made Mm. and they are not going to just blatantly like jab at you or to, you know, to do things that you know that you don't want to do anymore or tempt you to do the things that you just don't want to do anymore. Like they would, hopefully respect you enough to respect your choices and decisions. Mm. So I don't I'm not sitting here saying you have to cut off everyone that is no longer that, that is not a Christian. Okay. Yeah. I don't I think that's probably um, I do think it's wise counsel to be careful to just to be careful to discern who is it that I can that I can be with in this early stages of walking with Jesus, and but I think as we grow, one of the things you see Jesus doing, and he's getting his disciples, and they're with the same people, so they're still sitting like they're often going to go eat with individuals, um, that are that that are not quote unquote religious, you know, they're they're known as the tax collectors and the sinners, right? And mm-hmm. Jesus. Having, I mean, he's he's in there having a great great time with them. So he doesn't see anything wrong with it. He's got his disciples in there with him, and so, but again, there, there's a community of people together that's different than like you, like one individual person who's now a Christian amongst this whole group trying to be faithful to follow the Lord in an environment that is very tempting because you literally just came out of it a day ago, you know? And so I think there's a big difference between like Jesus and all the disciples being there together versus just you isolated individual being there. Um, but over the course of time, as you mature in your faith, you grow in the Lord, then you, you may be able to go back and hang out with those individuals and be in those environments, and it won't be tempting to you.
0: Okay, so say I'm in a job. Okay. And... The people at my, like, I'm friends with the people at my job, and I'm forced to be around them. Okay. And
1: now I'm a Christian. Right. But none of them are. Right. How do I deal with that? Yeah. I mean, and that's the tough part, because some of the people that you work with, like, so here is like you said before, you don't have a choice, right? This is your yeah. job. You've got to be around these individuals. Again, hopefully they would respect you and honor you you know, in the fact that you're making a decision to follow Christ. So they're going to respect that and honor that. Okay, but they don't. All right. So, but they're not. Yeah. Yeah. And so, I mean, you've, you've got two choices, right? You can deal with it, pray for them, right? And, and pray for your, and just pray for yourself, you know, um, that you would not um, react negatively, that you would not react um, in like losing your temper, that kind of thing with them. And you may have to prayerfully discern: Do I need to move jobs? Is this something I need to do? And for not for everyone, that's not an option for everybody. Yeah. To just just move jobs, just especially just like quickly, and so. uh, But you you will have to make some choices and decisions. I think one of the things that makes jobs more difficult is when you're being asked by an employer. Or you're being asked by your co-workers to do things that you now deem unethical. Right. And there's just lines you can't cross now. Um, and so you're not going to fudge the numbers. You're not going to tell a white lie just to get another client, right? Mm. You're, and so you're, there's these ethical boundaries that will begin to be established in you that will not always um that will always that will not always be accepted or tolerated in your work environment and at that point in time you really just may have to quit you know and find another job because you can't keep going down the route of choosing unethical things um and if you just are constantly like I will not do this I will not do this you may get fired anyway so like those things are there they're real they're options but I I would hope that for in most situations, people in your job would, again, respect you, but in a situation, like you said, where they're not. So maybe they're ridiculing you, they're um, they're mocking you, they're or they're just like, that's just stupid, mm-hmm. right? Like that's, that doesn't make any sense. Like why would you do that? Like why are all of a sudden you become, why are you becoming like holier than thou and all that kind of stuff? I mean, you're going to have to just pray and just ask the Lord just to help you, you know, bite your tongue. And, you know, hopefully when they're mocking you, you can, you know, be kind to them in return. Um, and hopefully over time, they'll see that your response to them is pretty different than their own, you know, and, and that they'll tame that down. some. Uh would be my hope that if you're responding with kindness and you're responding with grace to individuals that are ridiculing you or mocking you or whatever it may be, um, That they would themselves realize, wait a minute, he's, you know, this person's not, um, they're not losing it with us, they're not, all they're doing is being kind and gracious, like, the least we can do is be that in return.
0: So, what I'm thinking about is, I'm a new Christian, so I don't necessarily know how to do any of those things. Like, I don't, I don't know what like nobody's really told me how to do these things yet right so i'm in the midst of this trying to deal with it and and i guess i have a inclination that, that these things are wrong but i'm but i'm like still doing wrong things that i okay. don't know are wrong okay like but they kind of feel wrong
1: mhm
0: so how do i deal with that feeling
1: like, are we talking about just in the work environment or I'm are we talking, talking about, about just in general? In general. Okay. Yeah,
0: but, like, the work environment made me think of it. But okay.
1: Yeah. yeah. So, well, I, I think this goes back to, okay, two things. One, this goes back to why being in community and being in a discipleship relationship is really important. Mm-hmm. Because then you can go to those people and say, hey, I'm feeling this way. I'm thinking this way what do y'all think about this? Like, Or what does the Bible say about this? Because you're probably not going to be able to tell, you're probably not going to know what the Bible says about it, right? right. Or what does the Lord think about this? You may not even use the word Bible, just, well, as a Christian, am I supposed to do this? Am I a Christian, am I okay doing that? Like, and you're still trying to get a, a bearing of what's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, And so you're going to run those things by people. But then secondly, you're absolutely right. Like not everything is just going to you know, happen overnight where you're just completely transformed and know everything to do. Mm. Um, And and that does take time. And I don't think anyone is expecting anybody to just be completely, quote, unquote, holy or sanctified, like, from point one of coming to know Christ. No, like, there's reasons that, for example, in the New Testament, the letters that are being written or the epistles that are being written to these churches and to these people— are specifically written by Paul or James or Peter to help them deal with behaviors they're struggling against. Mm -hmm. You know, like James, for example, is a really practical letter. So it's dealing with what do I do when, uh, you know, I I feel this sense of I want to show favoritism to people. And James is going, no, don't do that. Don't show favoritism. Um, Or James also dealing with the fact of, all right, well, what do you do when— You know, uh, you know, one minute you're in church and you know you're you're praising God and you're you know singing the songs and saying amen to the sermon and that kind of thing, and then and then you're but then outside of church you're still using the same language that you used before before you got saved. Mm -hmm. You're you know when people are attacking you, you're attacking them in return. And James would label this as as being like you know double-minded and you know, um, speaking both life and death out of your mouth at one time. And so there's all these things that are being addressed in the letters or Paul dealing a lot with like behaviors and attitudes and actions, you know, whether it's in, in Colossians chapter three or in Ephesians chapter four, there's all of these, um, or in, in in Ephesians four and Ephesians five, dealing with all of these actions and attitudes of, you know saying you don't have to do this anymore. you're a Christian now. You don't have to act this way anymore. Mm. This is the way you, you used to act, but you don't have to act this way anymore. And I think those are things that we learn over time. and I do think you're exactly right though. I do think the Holy Spirit, because as soon as we get saved, the Holy Spirit is in us. and the Holy Spirit is going to already start leading us this idea of conviction, of going, ah, oh, something's not right about this. Something's not okay about this. And we may not even be able to put exactly our finger on what what it is that's wrong or why it's wrong. And again, that's why it's good to be able to go back to people that you're in these discipleship relationships with in community with and can say, hey, this is what I'm feeling. This is what I'm sensing. Am I right? You know? Um, and I think, again, that's why the community is so important.
0: What if I'm a Christian now and my spouse and children are not and I'm in this situation. how do I deal with that? Yeah. So how old are your children? Um still at home, living at home age.
1: Okay. All right. So all right. So with the spouse, this is and this can get really tricky to be honest with you. Okay. Um, because let's say you and your spouse were, were, you know, your mindsets were similar, Mm. right? In the sense of, okay, these are the things we do on the weekends. This is the way we live our lives. These are the things we value. And now all of a sudden you come to know Christ and maybe some of those things now you want to change. I don't want to go out and hang out with these people and, you know, whether it's just partying or social drinking, whatever, on the weekend. Mm. I don't want to spend all of our resources or a lot of our resources on yeah i don't want to spend a lot of our resources on just material things anymore okay um and or i don't really think we always have to have the best clothes or the best car or the best house um and so these things can really cause friction between spouses I mean there could
0: be a lot other worse things that spouses do together than what you just <laughs> Oh absolutely yeah.
1: absolutely no I mean it could yes, I mean it could go okay. way off. Yeah, right. And so I I think that one of the things that in, that the spouse can do is lovingly respect, lovingly honor, you know, their spouse. The one that's not a the Christian. The one that's not a Christian. Okay. And, and so how do you do that? Well, and it's going to be, it's going to be tough. Um, One thing that you don't do, you don't speak down to them as if you know better now than they do. Okay. Um, I see that a lot that happens. Like, you know, a spouse will come to the Lord and now they're like, oh, well, now I know what's the best way for us to live, Mm. the best things for us to do. Well, okay, but the spouse that doesn't know Jesus doesn't know those things yet and you can't force them to that. And so you cannot speak down to them. What's an example
0: of that? Like what would, what would a Christian be in a marriage be better to know than the other one?
1: Yeah. So, all right. So let's say that one of the things that happened a lot in your relationship was that you were, you would kind of constantly jab, make fun of other people. Okay. Right? And so you would mock them. You'd belittle them. That's kind of something that you would do. Well, now the one who's saved is like, we we shouldn't do that anymore. Okay. Okay? All right. That's fine to say we shouldn't do that anymore. But that's fine to say that or to at least say I'm not going to do that anymore. You can't control the other person, right? Mm -hmm. I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm not going to engage that anymore. And then don't follow that up the lecture of why and why okay. the other person's wrong with it. Okay. Just, hey, I'm not going to do that anymore. I just don't feel right with doing that. Um, now, if the other person is genuinely inquisitive of why, like, right? Genuinely like, well, why do you not want to do that? And then you go, well, one of the things that I've learned is that everyone is made in God's image, and so we should value everyone, mm. regardless of their status, regardless of their disability or non-disability, regardless of race, regardless of gender, sex, like we're going to value people. Um and so I think that that's one of the things that we we want to do as Christians, but others may not so easily adhere to that. Mm-hmm. Um and so now if they genuinely ask, that's fine. And there may be opportunities where you can share that. But I think you don't want to come down to like some condescending voice of like, well, I know better. Mm-hmm. I know we shouldn't do this, you know, um, and that's just, you know, one small example. But so I, I do think there's a way to hold to convictions that you're, that you're developing as a Christian without making the spouse, you can't always control how they feel, but you can't control what the way you, you're tone toward them. And I think maybe that's probably the most important thing. Um, and there's times you to have to draw the line and go, nope, I'm not doing that. You know, no, we're not doing this. No, we're not going. And I think it gets even dicier with the kids. Okay, so the kids. Because here's what happens with the kids. Now you as a Christian are wanting more than likely to expose your kids to church. But you've not been going to church. And maybe your spouse takes the perspective of that's fine you take the kids but i'm not going so then you're telling the kids you're going they're going to church and depending on their ages you may get some pretty tough resistance from them Mm -hmm. if they're used to on sundays doing things with dad or with mom and or maybe just having the day off to do whatever and now or can't sleep in whatever it may be and now they're being told get up get dressed you know we're going to church um they may not love that. They may not love going to church. They may not love the environment of the church. Mm. And so I think that can be tough with the kids, too. And so I, this, is, this to me is where you have to be really careful to not just push church on your kids, but to start sharing with your kids and your spouse what, what happened. Who is this Jesus that you've come to believe in and begun to follow? Mm-hmm. And sharing Jesus with them is probably more important than sharing your church with them. And eventually, yes, you can. You can always ask and invite. Would you like? You know. Would you like to go to church? Um, and there's times where you, you know your spouse or your kids may say yes. They may say no. Um, I just think that's a, you have to be just very careful. I would, be more, I would want to be more intentional to share my faith and share the gospel and share what God's like, share what Jesus is like, share what faith is like, because it may help break down some of the stereotypes they have in their mind mm-hmm. about God or about church. And so I think those things are the really important things to do with your spouse and your kids, not just, we got to go to church now. I'm saved. We're all going to church now you might start World War Three in your household trying to do that. So it would be better to say, I'm going to go to church. You're always welcome to go with me. And when they start kids ask why, or the spouse ask why, then you can share. And, but again, you're wanting to introduce them to Jesus and, and, to, and the gospel. And then eventually they may start coming to church or they mm-hmm. may not, you know, or may become occasional and not all the time. Um, but I just think you have to be really careful with that. And I'll, one last thing on this. You have to be careful to not just consume your life with, Christ, with like church stuff. Okay. Because now if you hear, because you're, like, you're excited, you're on fire about Jesus. This is awesome. But if you're at church like seven days a week, mm-hmm. right, five out of seven days, whatever it may be, because you want to be a part of everything because you're so excited about Jesus, but now you're neglecting your spouse or your kids, that's, that's actually not biblical. Okay. So to be biblical would be to love and cherish your spouse. To be biblical would be to, you know, love and cherish and nurture your kids. And so you don't want them to start resenting God and church because you're there all the time now. Like, don't neglect your family is what I'm getting to. Okay. Okay. And I think that's a really important one as well. Because, again, you're excited. I get it. Like, you want to be around the people of God, and you're excited. But just don't neglect your family in the midst of it.
0: I've quit my job because I was fudging numbers, and I knew I was doing it. And I'm convicted, and I shouldn't do that anymore. Okay. I can't hang out with any of my friends because... All of my friends are doing things that are the opposite of what I think now. Okay. And so I have no friends. And my spouse hates me because I'm spending more time with Jesus than them. Mm -hmm. And the kids hate going to church. Okay. So it's me now. And my entire life is completely different than it was a month ago. Right. And I've got no one to talk to. <laughs> so you said get plugged into community at church. Mm-hmm. But everyone at church is weird <laughs> and way more Jesus-y than I am. Okay. And kumbayaing every Sunday. Okay. And I get to see them for an hour right or two a week right but then I have to go home and deal with the fact that I have no job no friends and everyone in my life hates me now gotcha what do I do
1: yeah that seems like a terrible pretty terrible place I mean like but that's a place right it is a place and um so you've got no job no seemingly no friends um there's friction in the household yeah um And so, or I'm single and by myself, right? And I'm sitting here with
0: a contact list full of people that I shouldn't talk to, or Mm -hmm. that you would, you know, it would be better if I didn't talk to or hang out with. Okay. And, and basically, it's like my entire life has to go a completely different direction, and I'm at the beginning of that process or Mm -hmm. whatever. How do I just sit here and be okay?
1: Yeah. What am I supposed to do? Right. No, I mean, it, yeah, you're right. You're isolated. Yeah. Yeah. And again, that's, if, if you're not, if you're, if you're not connecting to that community of believers, that's the GoFundMe community of believers you can not connect to. Because okay. like, you've got to, that's to me the beginning point. Like, but
0: like, they can't hang out with me and talk to me all the time.
1: No, you're right. You're right. So what do I do? <laughs> okay. Well, I would hope one, we are doing the best we can to speak whatever love language our spouse has to speak their love language, to affirm them, to let them know they're still loved and they're and that you're not just neglecting them completely. Even if they just disagree with you, don't like what's happened, don't like the changes, that you can still speak to them their love language and that you're working on that. You know, if you're married, um, if you're single and so and regardless of if you're single, if you're married and you've you don't have a job anymore, well you need to start looking for another job, right? Like mm-hmm. that's gotta do that. But I do understand, all right, so I'm at home, I've got home from work, and I've got no I feel like I've got no one to talk to.
0: I got no one to talk to. I'm not supposed to drink when I get home and do anything normal that I used to do. Or sit there and watch porn like I used to do, or I can't right. do anything.
1: I like <laughs> right, yeah. Like everything's just completely <laughs> radically the, changing. None
0: of the fun things that I enjoy doing, I can do anymore. So right,
1: yeah. yeah. I mean, I get it. And uh, again, if if you're if you're single, then I would I would drastically go out of my way to connect with a, a community of believers that has a that has people that you can connect with mm. that are in your same season of life. And and even if it's not the primary church you're going to on a Sunday morning that you're that you find a church that has a strong singles you know ministry that has a, that has people cuz the singles are more likely to hang out and do things, right? Okay, yeah. It, it almost regardless of the season of life if there's like they're more likely to do that mm. right, and hang out. If so, I do think there's. If you're single, and it's interesting to me, I've got a close friend, and you know he's uh, you know in his 40s, single, and he actually believes it's the loneliest demographic of the church. The single people. The, yes. That's because they're single. Yeah, and they're not. And there's, <laughs> and a lot of churches though have like things for like the kids and the youth and maybe even college age. Mm-hmm. And then they have things for like families but there's this massive gap for singles and and I don't think he's wrong on that I, okay. I think I think his assessment of it is pretty spot on and so I think that churches need to do one a better job of it too you usually can find a church in your area. Even if it's not your own church, again, that you want to connect with, and be it on a Sunday morning, there's usually a church in the area that has a singles, a stronger singles ministry, that more singles tend to connect with and go to. Um, so I do think you can find people on that front, right? If you're married, to me, that's like that's a hard one because you can't just like you know. Um, neglect your family. Mm. And, and so you're wanting to be with your spouse and hopefully you s- still, I mean, I, I'm, you know, and I, I know that in the scenario you've painted the there's tension in the household. Um, I would hope we could, that could be worked through over time. Um, but in the midst of that, there is tension and you're trying to find again, you're trying to find that community part and, um, and if you can just find, I, I, I believe, if you can find just one or two people, you don't have to find like a whole bunch of people. But if you find one or two people you're connected with on a discipleship level in community, I do think that gives you more of um, an opportunity to be able to call, to be able to text, to, to be able to reach out to them and let them pray with you through those situations and those kind of things. But you also are going to have to learn— this is new Christian, Mm. is going to have to learn, all right, and hopefully, again, you're in discipleship, so one of the things you're going to have to learn is going, all right, well, how can I use the time that I do have to grow in my faith? Okay. How can I use that time to grow in the Word? What are podcasts, like this amazing podcast, that I can listen to? This one? Even this one. Shameless. Uh, Shameless plug. And uh and so what are podcasts I can listen to? Who are um are are there worship teams that I enjoy listening to their music? Like, and I know that's still in isolation, but the point being is but can I use that time to grow in my faith? Mm. And I think it just has to be all right, well, if I'm not going to do the things of the world, then I'm I need to do the things of the kingdom. And that may be, I need to read my Bible and grow in the word. I need to have a devotional because you may not, you know, you, maybe you'll sit there and go, yeah, I'll read Genesis through Revelation. Or maybe you just need a devotional. You can read one page, a little devotional, or some verses to read with it and help you begin to grow in your faith that way. And again, I, I still know you're not going to sit there, you know, all day long and just read your Bible. But there is, th- what can I do to grow in my faith? I think is a good question to ask. Like what? How can I use this time to grow in my faith?
0: My experience is that have experienced all these things that the majority of the people that I'm communicating with at church have never experienced. Okay, and don't know how to relate to, and so the response is like, well, the the pray about it response, and the or. They do relate to it, and but but it's a thing that we just don't talk about. Like, hey, I don't want to—it like, feels like people in church don't want to let you know that they have ever sinned before. Yeah, yeah. And so I, I guess what I'm saying is finding those people to connect to and to relate with, because I feel like that's what new— christians are looking for is someone Mm -hmm. to relate to why they have decided to become a christian right and so how how do i deal with all that yeah and is that is that
1: is that a thing yeah I i think it's absolutely a thing okay yeah so in other words you're wanting to find uh you're wanting to find a community or at least some people that are relating, connecting to you from where you're coming from. Right. They can understand where you've come out of. Right. And can help walk alongside and say, hey, I've been there. This is how I progressed in my faith journey.
0: Yeah. And sometimes even just like wanna or be willing to talk about those
1: type of things. Right. Sure. Yeah. yeah and and I think and I think you're right. I think unfortunately when you come in on just a Sunday morning, you know most people, you know, because let's say they've come to the Lord. So I don't know necessarily they're even trying to put on mask, but they've they've come to the Lord, and so they're there to worship and they're there to, you know, learn and that kind of thing. And I do think that at times they can forget from which they came, if that makes sense, and forget that there's others around them that need to be connected with. Um, okay, because you're right. Like in in every, I would I would suspect, and I won't say every single situation, but I think in a lot of situations, when you go into a church, there is someone in that church that has been through a similar journey as you. Mm-hmm. You know, no one person's journey is exactly the same as another's. Okay, we get that, right? But I do think you can find people in there that have similar situations. And again, I think this is the, the part of connecting into these discipleship groups, you know, um, and, or discipleship relationships. So let's say you go to the pastor and you're saying, hey, pastor, you know, this is, this is my story. This is how I came to know Jesus. This is where I'm coming out of. Is there someone here that you think would be willing to talk to me and connect with me on that level? I bet that pastor's going to know someone who's got a pretty similar story. That they could connect you with, and and so that may be a beginning point to find the pastor or one of the associate pastors, and just share with them, "Hey, I'm looking, I'm looking to talk to someone that's gone through the same thing I have." So I think that's perfect. I, I think it's perfectly fine for that individual to do, and I know that's putting a little bit of the impetus on the person to say, "You've got to do it," right? Um, so that's one. But then two. I'm also hoping the churches, that they're seeing new individuals coming into the church, that they're taking an initiative to say, let's help these individuals connect to people.
0: Right. That's my next question. Like, what is church protocol deal with new people at church?
1: Yeah, I, it, it really varies okay. from churches. Some churches, you go there on a Sunday morning, and they will not have a clue if you're new or not. Yeah. Um, and so there's nothing that's going on, you know, unless you like, unless you're look like you're on their website and you see, these are the ways I can connect. And then you contact those individuals or, right. cause they'll usually have like a point of contact. That you can contact if you want to connect into a small group or to another, you know, ministry area. Okay. And so there's, so there's that. And then there's other churches that when you go, you know, they'll ask, Hey, if you're a visitor, come to this tent after service or come to the tent before there's visit before service, but that's still on the person. Yeah. And that's, and some people are just not going to feel comfortable going to a tent, you know, after service or before service. And then I know others, they'll actually throw it up on the screen where they're like, Hey, if you're a visitor here today, text this number, and that will get you connected to them, okay? And then others may be like, oh, uh, I ain't giving them my number. <laughs> I don't want some crazy person calling me or, you know. And so I think there's gotten a lot those phone calls before. Have you? Yeah. Yeah?
0: Hey, this is Janine from whatever church. Just wanted to, you know, do you need anything prayed for? Okay, bye. I'm going to get to my next phone call.
1: Wait. Like, <laughs> right. <laughs> okay. okay. Yes, yeah, so that's not always the best either. <laughs> um, I I do think it's hard because it probably goes both ways. Hopefully again, you connect with someone there and they're quick to go, Hey, this, these are how you can connect as a new person here in the church. And hopefully the church has like an on-ramp if you were of how do I get connected here, you know, and that people can begin to go, Hey, you're new to the church. Come meet this individual. Come meet this individual. This, these are the discipleship groups we've got going. This is the, you know, the ministry areas we have, um, you know, whatever it may be, so that you can find a connection point quickly. So my point though is, it really varies from church to church of how, of how they approach. What do we do with you know visitors, first time guests, um, individuals that have just come to know Jesus? That kind of thing. So, what should protocol be? So, for me, and this is—it's—it's di- it's really different. This is what's different. I'm in a smaller church, mm-hmm. okay. So, let's say a church of two hundred people or less the pastor or pastors will, are pretty quick to know who's new and who's not. And even most of the people are, to be honest with you. Okay. Like, if they've been there for a while, they know, oh, this person's new, that person's new. So hopefully there's a culture in that church where you I can identify someone that's new pretty quickly, mm-hmm. and then they take the responsibility to help you connect to their church. Okay? And so... But then, if you're a church that's larger than two to three hundred people, there's just no way to keep up with. Yeah, like I've talked to greeters before from churches, and they're like, people are walking through the door. They don't know if they're members, not members. Like, there's just they don't know, Mm -hmm. right? And so, I think that makes it really hard when if the numbers are high on. And I think in that kind of situation you've really got to know someone there already to help you get connected or you have to take, you know, a, a little more of the initiative yourself to get on their webpage to find out how to get connected to their church or to when they offer the visitor tents or, you know, to connect that way. Um for me, in our in our situation, we can identify people that are new, talk with them, and then what we're creating here at our church is the discipleship relationship. And so that you can get connected in through discipleship where you can begin to grow in your faith. So as a new Christian, that's a hugely important deal. But even as someone that's just coming into the church, to get them connected and plugged into a discipleship group of, you know, same gender, going through, you know, discipleship, what that helps is they immediately connect with a few people. Like, immediately. So our discipleship groups are small, like, you know, five, six people and and smaller. And so they can immediately connect to those people, and now they've all of a sudden got some people when they come to church on a Sunday morning or on a Wednesday night or to another event, they've got some people they can already connect with. And plus, those people can help them connect to broader aspects of the church life. And so um, I would hope, for me personally, I would hope— that the discipleship the discipleship relationship would be the kind of the, the entrance or the connection point to a church I
0: think church members should have like sin's baseball cards have <laughs> what? sin's baseball cards uh, uh, so okay. I can flip through the book of baseball cards and know who dealt with the same kind of stuff I did and then I can go talk to them
1: right so in other words just like a photo book yeah and they can flip through it yeah. and you're like oh yeah right struggle yeah. with pornography right oh yeah you know whatever the mm-hmm. I did drugs oh yeah mm-hmm. I was a flamed out hippie right exactly. whatever okay yes. that's what you're talking about that's what I'm talking about <laughs> well that's an interesting approach that's thinking outside the box a little bit um
0: that way I know exactly who to go talk to and and <laughs> knows how to deal with the stuff I'm dealing with
1: Yeah, that's interesting. Um, I don't think that's the way it's going to work, but it's an interesting thought. Yeah, so, but I would hope that regardless of what you've done or not done, that you can connect with people that can help you grow in your faith. Yes. But I also understand your desire to want to connect with someone that can more relate to what you've been through.
0: How do I deal with the fact that I'm a new Christian now, and I realized that mostly everything that I had done in my past was actively leading people, the completely opposite direction of what I now know is the right direction. Like, yeah, like, you know, sold drugs or or directed porn, like people in positions of power who are now, Christians. Uh it's it's like I led them to death and now I'm like, "Hey, I'm out. <laughs> I don't feel like dying like you guys." And then now I'm trying to be a Christian now. Right. What about like yeah. How do I mentally deal with that?
1: Yeah. Okay.
0: Well, that's a good question. Um all right. So or like I was a politician <laughs> and you know got put in office to go the wrong direction right what do I do right yeah no. and nobody believes me and
1: yeah no one believes that you've changed No one believes
0: saying? that I'm actually going to change and the Christian community doesn't like me
1: and all of that have you ever heard of a guy named Paul yep that wrote a lot of the New Testament yes okay And so, what you're describing is Paul's story. Okay. Like right on. Okay. So, in Acts chapter seven, we're introduced to an individual named Saul. Okay. Mm -hmm. And Saul actually is the one that gives approval for the first death of, like, putting to death of a Christian. Okay. So Saul is a religious zealot and he believes that he is doing, he's a, so he's a, he's a Pharisee and he's a religious zealot. He believes he's doing the right thing by approving of having Stephen stoned to death. Okay. Who Stephen has, was a Christian. Stephen was preaching the message. And Paul, as a Jew, believes that the right thing to do with Stephen, who he believes is blaspheming against God by claiming that Jesus is God, Saul says, stone him, okay? And they kill him. Mm-hmm. And then right out of, out of that, the end of Acts 7, going into the beginning of Acts 8, it talks about how Saul then led this massive persecution of the church, And it says in verse 1 of chapter 8, Saul agreed with putting him to death. And on that day, a severe persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout the land of Judea and Samaria. Devout men buried Stephen and mourned deeply over him. Saul, however, was ravaging the church. He would enter house after house, drag off men and women, and put them in prison. So that's how we're introduced to Saul of Tarsus. And then in chapter 9, we come back to Saul. So chapter 9 in Acts, and Saul is going on the Damascus on, on his way to Damascus. And so in chapter 9, verse 1, it says, Now Saul was still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. He went to the high priest and requested letters from him to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any men or women who belonged to the way, he might bring them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he traveled and was nearing Damascus, a light from heaven suddenly flashed around him, and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul said. I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. And he replied, but get up. Go into the city, and you'll be told what you must do. So Jesus came back? Yeah. <laughs> well, he had a vision of Jesus. Okay. Yeah, so Saul has his vision of Jesus. And it says that the that the light was so bright that, like, actually his, the, the, his individuals that were with him saw the light. They didn't see Jesus. They didn't really even hear Jesus, but it freaked them out. But for Saul, he heard Jesus and saw Jesus in this seeming like this vision that he saw Jesus. And so now Paul, or excuse me, Saul, Saul of Tarsus, is convicted (laughs) and knows that Jesus is real, is alive, did resurrect from the grave, and is God. After he's killed killed a bunch of Christians. Okay, And had them thrown in prison. Just because they were Christians. Just because they were Christians. Okay. So Saul has done these horrific deeds, right? So he is under his kind of leadership. Christians have been killed. Christians have been thrown in prison. Families have been broken up. Um, And so this is what Saul has done in his past. And now all of a sudden he comes to a revelation of Jesus. And then an individual named Ananias comes And because the Lord instructed him to go to Saul, so Ananias comes to Saul, although Ananias was terrified to do it because he knew what Saul had been doing. Mm -hmm. But he comes to, to Saul, prays for him, baptizes Saul. And then Saul begins to proclaim that Jesus was the Messiah. So he just shifts gears completely. Okay. And, so he's he's been doing he, he does this for some time and then he goes up to Jerusalem so after it from and it seems to be that after a few years he's going like up to Jerusalem mm-hmm. okay so then after about 17 years so it's quite a long period of time Saul goes up to see all of the all the apostles in Jerusalem mm-hmm. okay now prior to this he had he had gone to see Peter and James, and but here in verse 26, it says, When he arrived in Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, since they did not believe he was a disciple. Barnabas, however, took him and brought him to the apostles and explained to them how Saul had seen the Lord on the road and that the Lord had talk to him and how in Damascus he had spoken boldly in the name of Jesus. And so Saul is dealing with the same thing. Even when he comes to the believers or the apostles in Jerusalem, they're like, nah, we don't, we don't, we don't believe you. And so what you're describing of someone that's done horrific things in their past. Mm. And so kind of to and to make sure I'm clear on this, so Saul does this and then It does seem like there's some time he's in Damascus. Three years later, he goes up, visits Peter and James, the Lord's brother, and speaks with them in Jerusalem. They send him back away. And then 14 years later, he finally comes back to Jerusalem to talk with all of the apostles. But during all this time, they're still concerned. Is Paul really saved? Mm Mm-hmm. Did he really have his life changed, or is he the one that's just trying to maybe kind of get in, find out where all the Christians are so he can have us all killed? Right. All right. And I know I keep going back between saying Saul and Paul. I right. apologize. It's the same person, okay? Saul is his um, Hebrew name. Paul is his Greek name. Okay. okay? So apologize. It's the same person. Um, he's most oftenly known as Paul. Okay. So Paul here is is finding himself in a similar place of someone you're describing. They've done horrific things in their past. People that are around them that are Christians aren't really sure they've really changed. And, but I think the biggest thing is, you know, or not the biggest thing, but the first thing is, all right, what do I do with what I've done in my past? Mm. Like, how do I deal with this? Like, so Saul or Paul actually had people put, to death for being Christians. So talking about leading, like leading people astray, he was leading other Jews to arrest Christians, other Jews to have them thrown in prison. He approved of other Jews killing Stephen, and so he's having to live with the fact of all of this that he has done. Okay, and in Philippians chapter three, I believe we kind of get an insight into the way that. Paul began to, he had to reconcile what he had done with who he now is and how could he move forward, right? Mm. Because if he didn't find a way to move forward, he would have been paralyzed in guilt and in shame, all right? And so in Philippians chapter 3 then, Paul says, not that I have already, so chapter 3, verse 12, not that I have already reached the goal or I'm already perfect, but I make every effort to take hold of it because I also have been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do. So this is the one thing he says that he's doing, forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead. I pursue as my goal, the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. And, The idea of forgetting what is behind so that then he could move forward or reach forward to what is ahead, I think, ended up being a huge deal for Paul. And by forgetting what is behind, he's not saying that he literally forgets it. It's just wiped from his memory. It's just that he begins to understand that he himself is forgiven, Mm. that the Lord himself has forgiven Paul. So if the Lord has forgiven him, he must forgive himself. And and what he goes on to say is, now we're going to live according to the measure that we know. And the reality was, Saul didn't know what he didn't know. Right, He didn't know that Jesus was God. He didn't know Jesus had risen from the grave. He actually believed the opposite to be the case. And so... When he was telling people, don't buy into this Christian garbage, he believed it, right? Mm-hmm. When he was having Christians stoned and in prison, he thought he was actually doing the right thing. He didn't know what he didn't know. But then when he came to a revelation that Jesus indeed was the Messiah, the Christ, the Lord, at that point, he now had to realize, okay, this is who Jesus says. I have led all these other people astray. I have done these horrible things and there's nothing I can do to change that. There's nothing. So the only response he has then is going, "If the Lord has forgiven me. I must forgive myself. But I think it's also telling of Paul throughout his letters. He refers to himself as the least among the apostles or like an apostle is one who's untimely born and, I believe he really, he really is probably pretty humble in the fact of he knows all that he's done wrong. He knows he doesn't deserve the right to be considered an apostle, but yet the Lord allows him to be that. He knows he doesn't deserve the right to even be accepted into fellowship by the other apostle by the other apostles because. He's the one that stood up and approved for their friend to be killed. Mm. We have to remember, Stephen's a friend of these guys. So the person that he had killed was a friend of Peter and James and John. And so you can imagine their angst with Paul. And so they had to forgive him as well. They had to accept him in as well. And thank God there was a Barnabas. Mm. I mean, Barnabas was the saving grace of it all for Paul. And I think most of us need a Barnabas type person in our life that would just stand with us, believe for us, even when other people are saying his transformation is not real. That, you know, I just pray that for every person that they'd have that Barnabas in their life, that one person that is like, I'm with you and I'm for you. It's interesting, later on down the line, Paul and Barnabas actually have a feud. (laughs) That's that's years down the road. But in that initial moment... And they end up reconciling, okay? But, but in that initial moment, Barnabas is the man there with Saul or Paul. And so, but for people that are struggling with, okay, I've come to know Christ, but I've led people astray. I've done horrible things. I think you just have to realize there's nothing you can do to change that, one. But then two, know that you've been forgiven. So that three, if the Lord has forgiven you, you can forgive yourself. And that may take more time. Where you just have to begin to say, "I forgive myself. I didn't know." And maybe the Lord will give you a grace, and it will come easier for others. It takes a little longer, and but you just have to begin to say, "Lord, I forgive myself for what I've done." Um, and eventually, those those regrets, those nightmares, those feelings of just oh, "I'm a horrible person" begin to kind of fade away. And and so then you're at the point of going, "Okay, uh, I'm." I am forgetting what is behind. In other words, I'm not allowing those things to paralyze me from going forward in what God has for me. Because if God saved me, if God redeemed me, even in the midst of all that I've done wrong, He must have a purpose for my life. In the same way, He had a purpose for Paul or Saul's life. Now, you're not going to write, you know, half of the or you know a bulk of the New Testament. But it doesn't, but it doesn't mean the Lord doesn't have a purpose for you because you think he does. If he's called you, redeemed you out of whatever the mess is, he's, he's got a purpose for your life in him. And so, um, I think that's the biggest thing is find forgiveness of self and, and then you find that guilt and that shame of the things we've done before leave, starting to pass away. And that you just and if you don't have a Barnabas, you pray for a Barnabas. If you don't have anyone that will stand up for you and say that you've transformed and changed, man, pray that God sends someone like a Barnabas your way. Um, and because Paul didn't have that just immediately initially, but Barnabas obviously came into Paul's life at, at some point pretty early on and was able to be an advocate for Paul in the midst of other people. And plus, what what Barnabas was able to point to was the transformation in Saul that he's, that that Barnabas was like actually able to witness with his own eyes, right? right? There's this transformation in this person. These are this is the things he's doing. This is how he's living. He's different, and he can vouch uh, for him.
0: So what do I do, or how do I deal with I'm still doing the same things as before after I'm a Christian? okay. Like, it's hard for me to give it up. Sure. So what do I... uh, How do I deal with that? But but like, I know... I know I shouldn't be doing these things, but I'm just so used to it. Sure.
1: Or whatever. Yeah, absolutely. Just ingrained habits or addictions. Like,
0: Saul was just like, I can't stop killing these Christians. Right. I know I saw Jesus, but... (laughs) just so used to stabbing
1: some Christians. Uh, I don't think that continued on. Okay. But to your point, you know, what do we do when we want to change and we just seemingly cannot? Mm-hmm. And I don't think this is an issue for just a newborn Christian, right? I think this is an issue for all of us for as long as we're going to be alive and breathing.
0: Right, but it's fresh. But so it's, I sure. feel real bad about it. Sure,
1: Ab- absolutely. and And again, I think that's, Part of being in that discipleship relationship, right, that whoever you're in dis- that discipleship relationship with will help you be able to walk through finding forgiveness for self and for what you've done, re- learning how to repent, um, learning what true repentance is, and, and also n- be able to encourage you, hey, this is a journey. We're going to get there. Mm-hmm. You're going to get there. And that Jesus, and learning that Jesus isn't just like, turning his back on you every single time you screw up. You know, like he came for you while you were in the midst of all the screw up. And even after you come to know Christ, yes, we do want to, we want to we want to live to the standard that we know we've been called to live, whatever that is at that moment in time. Mm-hmm. And realize that even in the midst of our failures and our screw ups, that Jesus is still... F- Jesus is still for us if we're like, if we're trying, right? If we're Mm. just like, I don't want to keep doing this, but I keep doing this. and ah." Mm. And Paul has, you know, Romans 7 is very similar to that. In Romans chapter 7, Paul has a statement where he's saying, I'm doing the things that I don't want to do. And I cannot seem to do the things, right? Or, or, uh, I can't seem to um, do the things that I know I need to do. Okay, and so he's he's at this point of going. I keep doing the wrong things, and I can't seem to do the right things. Mm. And he's got. This, and he talks about how it's like this war within himself, and that he's at war with his members. He says, and so. Paul, I think, is painting a picture of relating to us in that sense. like when there's this inner struggle within us and there's that one part is like I th- I know this is the right thing to do and yet I keep doing the wrong thing. Mm. Um, and and so I, I think Paul is very um, empathetic one, but then two, he can relate to that. so he's writing about it in Romans seven. And he goes on to say, basically, the way that one ends up finding freedom in that is, one, yes, to the saving knowledge of Jesus, two, knowing there's no shame or condemnation for those who are in Christ. That's a huge one, right? Like, if I realize I'm in Christ, I'm messed up, but then I repent, I ask for forgiveness, Christ is not condemning me. But then three, It leads into this long description of the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives that will empower us, enable us to do that which is right, Um, and so, and to put to you know what it talks about is putting to death the deeds Mm. of of our flesh, okay, the the fleshly things that we want and or desire, and so there is this reality that the Spirit of God is empowering us to have victory in these different areas too. Um, And so I think all that's there at play where there's this, you know, the recognizing of the struggle. Okay. We've come to know Christ. We need to understand the power of God's um, grace where there's no shame. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's the power of the Holy spirit at work within us. And again, I'm going to keep coming back to it and we're doing it in community, right? We're not trying to win all our victories by ourselves because I just don't think we can. And so we need that community to help encourage us, help pray for us, you know, and sometimes rebuke us. Sometimes tell us, "Hey, get it together a little bit," you know. Um, and and other times, extend grace and say, "Hey, I I hear, I hear you. You messed up, but I know that's not your heart. I know you want to follow Jesus. Still, let's let's keep going. Let's keep pursuing the Lord." Um, and so I think that's why the community part's really important as well. Well, that was fun. Yeah. We did it. Hope you, uh, hope you feel like you got your questions answered a little bit there.
0: Podcast over. <laughs> now to go home and not do sins.
1: Yes. As Jesus told the woman who had been caught in adultery, go and sin no more. Right. So that's my charge to you, Nate. <laughs> go and sin no more.
0: Well, this has been The Way I Heard This Podcast. You can find the podcast anywhere that you find podcasts and on YouTube and Rumble. Go to Patreon, $5. Click all the buttons around the things. Like, sp- subscribe, share, download, comment. And then you type stuff when you hit the comment button. You can follow updates on the podcast on Facebook and Instagram at When I Heard This Podcast. You can follow me on Facebook and Instagram at Nate Robbinsoff. And you can follow Joseph on Instagram at Rev Show T. This has been the one I heard this podcast and we will see you guys next time. Bye.